Well, don't get too comfortable uh, sitting down because I want you to stand up. <laughs> Would you all stand? We're going to read uh, the scripture this morning. It's found in Acts chapter 5. And uh, my Bible's upside down. It's hard to read that way. Um, but I want to give you a little context. Whenever you study the scripture, you've got to understand that it's put in a context. Uh, Todd's been going through the book of Acts. And uh, he was, the last uh, time he spoke on Acts was Ananias and Sapphira. And he was talking about the importance of us being transparent. And what that really means is that somehow, some way, we would be so honest with God and so honest then with one another that the world in which we live would actually see through us to Christ. That's transparency. And that's really what happened with Peter. We're going to look at that a little more so in Acts chapter 5, starting with verse 29. Give you the context. These guys were in big trouble. Uh, they became transparent. And when Peter uh, and his disciples became transparent, things happened. Lives were changed. People were actually healed. You can read the narrative. Well, they got in trouble for that. Uh, the religious community was pretty upset about it. In fact, it says that the, um, the, the, the politically religious Sadducees were threatened by all of this. And they actually were put in jail. That is to say, Peter and his Proclaimers, out of that comes a, an angel. An angel comes and frees them. Pretty spectacular. They're out there back on the streets preaching. Well, the Sanhedrin gets pretty upset about that. These are the real uh, big-time religious folks, the guys that really call, call, call the shots religiously and also politically, and they were having a Sanhedrin headache. You've heard of an Excedrin headache. This was a Sanhedrin headache. And uh, what do we do with these guys? So I'll read and... And then just two verses prior, this is context. Look at the scripture before, the scripture after. Then we can understand what's really happening. Verse 27, and then I'm going to have you help me. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, the name of Christ. He said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. In other words, they took it personally. Um, the intent was to proclaim and glorify Christ, but they obviously were implicated. Frankly, so are you and I. Now, this is the part you and I will reach and teach. We're going to read this together. <laughs> and the title of the message is called Turning the Bitter End into the Better Beginning. Now, you've got to help me out. I want to hear all of you. Maybe you're not used to speaking in the church, but... The more you interact with the truth, the more it will become a part of you. I want everybody to help me out. It's right there in front of you. You ready? Here goes. Then Peter, I didn't hear you guys at all. Was, was Peter scary? Was that a scary word to say? Let's try that again. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead whom you have killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness. I'd like you to circle those two words in your Bible or in your head of sins to Israel. Verse 32, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. 
Now, before you sit down, I've got to let you know that just created more trouble. And uh, they're furious, it says. And then there was one called Gamaliel, who was one of the heads, you know, of the, the big boys, the Sanhedrin. He had a Sanhedrin headache, too, but he was trying to become diplomatic. And so he says later on, and this is really important, in verse 38, therefore, he says, look at if these guys, he says, leave them alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men and you will only find yourself fighting against God. Good advice. And at the end, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Christ. Wow. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching. Never. They never stopped proclaiming. Never. The good news that Jesus is the Christ. Would you bow with me? Lord, we need your Holy Spirit more than ever to take your word and to make it real so that we might tell our story with boldness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, you might ask the question, and I'm sure glad you did, what is the bitter end? Well, you know, I didn't even know until I talked to LaRue, but um, LaRue and I and Fritz Charrington went the three of us, the three amigos, uh, sailing in the British Virgin Islands. We had a great time, and I scared them to death because they thought I was... I just happened to swim from a boat like that to an island to do some snorkeling. It just happened to be across a fishing lane. And uh, when I came back, uh, Fritz was actually driving around in the little tender looking for body parts. <laughs> Isn't that right? <laughs> I scared him. Um, this is... Um, what is the bitter end? It's this right here. The bitter end is the end of the line. The line goes to the anchor right here. Do you see that? And um, that anchor holds this boat in place. It, uh, there's no way this boat's going to go anywhere. You can even set the sails and it's just going to lock. That means that the wind will just hold it in iron, so to speak. It's not going to go anywhere. So, uh, pretty much, the bitter end is being stuck, stuck on a mooring. Well, there's a sailing metaphor that I'm going to try home here, because it has to do with Peter. What happened to Peter? You know, Peter had a past. Did he not? Peter was a fisherman. Peter was pretty earthy. Peter um, said uh, so much so that, I would never deny you uh, that he, even when the Roman guards came, cut the ear off of one of the guards. And Jesus picks it up and puts it back on and says, Peter, I don't need that. And so uh, they march him off. And through all the pressure of all the religious community and all the Romans and all that's going on, what happens is Peter then denies Christ three times. We know the story. In fact, even at the crucifixion, people said, you look like you hung out with Jesus. And the answer was, no, not me. Well, three times. So Peter had a past. wasn't very pretty. But so did so do you. So do I. So did such folks like Abraham. You know, uh, the idea was blessed to be a blessing. Abraham... I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a child. I know you're old, but wait on me. 
well, Sarah got a little impatient, said, how about you sleeping with Hagar, you know, the servant lady? That way we can have a kid because I'm not uh, able to. And so Abraham did. He was impatient. Out of which now we have a family feud because the purpose and plan was for it to be Isaac. And he was born and everyone laughed. The name says laughter. I'm 100. She's 99 or something like that. It's pretty funny to have an old couple with a, you know, a rug rat running around. Isaac? Well, um, there was a... You see, every person in the Old and New Testament are fumblers of the faith. Abraham was impatient. Took matters in his own hands. Well, how about uh, Joshua? He was another one. Um, Moses is dead. Joshua, now it's your turn. Read the first chapter of Joshua. Joshua was a chicken. He simply was frightened. I can't take and get into the boots of Moses. And so, eight to ten times, first chapter... Uh, be strong, be courageous. Have I not told you? You see, they had a past. All of them had a past. Jeremiah, he was a wimp, a weeping prophet. Never saw anything. Um, when you look at Jacob, Jacob was a liar. Jacob and Esau, actually Jacob lied about his brother to get the birthright. Fumblers of the faith, New Testament, Matthew, IRS guy. Need I say more? Mark. Uh, 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 Paul had it with Mark because Mark was, again, a wimp. He just didn't seem to cooperate. Yet at the end of the ministry, Paul and Mark reconnected. Well, let's look at Paul. Paul, I would imagine, was with Gamaliel for his conversion didn't happen until chapter 8. In fact, chapter 7, if you read it in the book of Acts, is all about Stephen, where Paul was present. His name was Saul. So I'll bet you he was there too. What am I trying to say? Every one of these people have a past. So do you. And we would call that the bitter end, the place where we're stuck. The place that we can't somehow, some way, we're never going to leave that mooring. Even if we put up the sails, we're not going anywhere because we are stuck. Well... That bitterness, that resentment, Hebrews chapter 12, simply says that there is a bitter root judgment. That is to say that something or someone or some event has a traumatized you. How can one move from traumatic experience to transparency, i.e. to be transparent so that Christ could be seen through my life? Are we stuck? Are we stuck there? Some people are caught up with a great... Sadness and resentment, maybe even anger towards parents, maybe towards uh, a mate, maybe towards an institution that gave them a hard deal. I am a victim of post-traumatic stress disorder through the military, but in all honesty, I'd like to write a book, Post-Traumatic Church Disorder. I believe that the church is one of the worst places for trauma to occur. And it's all embraced and packaged in a neat little form to say, well... Uh, let me blow you off of the path in the name of Jesus because you're on the way and you're kind of a troublemaker. That isn't the way Paul did church. Well, so, I think we all qualify. And the reason I bring up bitter end is that this is where we live. All of us live at the bitter end. And we're all fumblers of the faith. Whether you're a super believer, or maybe you're not even here as a believer. It doesn't matter. 
Is this it? Is it as far as it gets? The bitter end? I have a friend in Milwaukee, Rudy Stepplinger, quite a guy. I just call him up every now and then. Nobody likes him, and I understand why. Every circumstance, every situation, everything that's happened to Rudy, he has turned into bitterness. His philosophy of life is, I'm afraid to live, and I'm afraid to die. How would you like to be there? Rudy. I'm going to try to get him here next year, and uh, you can meet him personally. That will be quite a task. He said, if I was on an island, all by myself, I wouldn't go to the other side of that hill because I I wouldn't want to know what's there. (laughs) Not a whole lot of adventure with Rudy. And what happens, it's like, He has been so programmed, so traumatized, so beat down by the circumstances of his life that he doesn't even want to open his eyes anymore. And I know his story. Well, maybe you're not that dramatically stuck, but nonetheless, I would say as I view my life and your lives, we are indeed at the bitter end. Well, are we stuck? Does it stay there? Um, is it possible to start over? And there is a book that's written from stuck to starting over. I read it long ago. And there was a story in that book, and it was about a guy who was following a large pet truck, big truck, and every time the truck came to a stop, the guy who was driving the truck would hop out and bang it with a baseball bat. And the fellow following this thought it was so unique, i got to find out if he does it again. And he does. And all the way for probably 20 miles until he gets to a pet store. He stops. When he stops, he hops out and bangs on the truck until the light turns green. He hops in and drives off. So the fellow following finally asked him when he got to the pet store, Sir, I've been watching and following you, and every time the truck stops, you come along and beat the side of that truck. Why do you do that? Just curious. So, well, look, uh, I have two tons of canaries in the back of this truck, and this is only a one-ton truck. So I've got to keep at least one to one and a half tons of canaries in the air at all times, otherwise the truck's going to fold. Is that the way your life is? That you feel like you have to keep one and one and a half tons of canaries in the air? We beat on our life, we push, we shove, we, we, we do everything, and all it is is just... Pointless effort. Uh, on the um, one of the shows way back when, uh, there was a guy who spun plates. He started a plate here, and he started another plate, another plate. About the seventh or eighth plate, the first plate started to wobble a little. So he goes back and he starts spinning that. It was on the Ed Sullivan show, and I know that's dating me, but uh, is that the way your life is? Do you feel like you're juggling all these balls, and finally it's just out of control? And you are stuck, and you feel like you just can't get through it. Well, that's the bitter end. Now, Peter had every right to feel that way. He had betrayed Christ. In fact, in all honesty, when Peter met Jesus, he had gone back to be a fisherman. Todd really pointed that out well. He just said, I don't qualify as one of your people anymore. My life is so messed up. It's so filthy. It's so screwed up uh, that I'm just stuck at the bitter end. And I am caught up with bitterness and resentment. I'm disappointed with myself. And I'm useless to you. Well, what does Christ do? What happened to Peter? He's like some kind of flaming maniac now. What happened to him? Somehow the bitter end, and don't miss this, 
actually became the launching pad for the better beginning. And uh, that's what we're... When you look at Peter, there were two things that happened. He said, I am proclaiming this message even at risk of my own life so that there might be repentance and there might be forgiveness proclaimed to any and all who hear it. And the only way that this can operate is through the power, he says, of the Holy Spirit. Well, he took a lot of flack for that. So, what um, is the better beginning? How does one get to the better beginning? Well, Lucille Zimmerman says that the, the bitter end, or the end of the line, or the end of your rope, is God's address. Ever think about it that way? Now, this is a sailing diagram. Back to the analogy and the metaphor. Uh, this has everything to do with the, the better beginning. Uh, I happen to love sailing. I started when I was 17 years old. And, and I sailed I sailed all through my life. And any of you that have been in the church when we first started, I had a lightning. Now, um, in a moment, you'll see the other boat I had, which was a star. So anyway, this is a, a top view. We have the wind coming at the sail. And we have uh, two people, two happy faces, a yellow one and a white one. And the one on the inside is Todd. And the one on the outside is me. And Todd and I are going to race. We're going to start at the leading edge of the sail. And we're going to get to the end of the sail at the same time. But you notice it's curved. So that means that I have to run faster. Right? So when I run faster, so Todd and I can meet at the trailing edge of the sail, it literally creates a negative pressure, which uh, adds to the little diagram there. It's a little force vector, which breaks up into drag and lift. And uh, the verge of a luff, by the way, is critical to sailing a boat. Regardless of what direction the sail's way out or doesn't matter, the verge of a luff. That's the most efficient setting. Tuck that away. What's the analogy? Romans 8, 1 through 3. Paul, in chapter 7, said, The good that I should do, I don't. The evil I shouldn't do that I do, a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this carcass of sin? It's like having this dead carcass, smelly thing attached to your back. And uh, Paul had been down the road. He planted churches. He was a mature Christian. But he's struggling with drag and lift. Drag, what drags me down. I keep, every time I try to do something, I'm being dragged down. There's this old nature that keeps fighting against me and gosh, I thought I'd be further along than this, and I'm not. Yeah, that's it. But he says, thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he launches into chapter 8. There is therefore no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Are you in Christ? Am I in Christ? We have to ask that question. Have you trusted, placed your total faith and reliance in Christ? I had to ask this when I was going through clinical depression when I, we had started this church way back when, and everything was falling apart in this church, am I in Christ? And I said, Lord, one thing I know for sure, I know that's true. I remember committing my life to you in the Philippines, and it was certainly a change of life. Listening to Charlene, a total, I mean, there's a change. Listening to Frank, there's a change. There's a story. The story includes the bitter end, all of the trash and all the garbage, and then how Christ is working it. There is therefore no more condemnation for those in Christ, for the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. 
for what the law couldn't do and that it was rendered powerless by sin, Christ did. So therein is found Christ. And there's a new law. There's a law of life that overcomes the law of death. Are you following that? There is a law of aerodynamics that overcomes the law of gravity. How does an airplane get in the air? It gets to a certain speed where there's an airfoil, where there's a negative pressure underneath and a positive pressure on top, and it lifts megatons. And you're in it. Aren't you glad? The law of, the of life, the law of uh, aerodynamics, overrides the law of sin and death. Law of gravity. Law of gravity is still operative. If you lose the engines or you stall, you spin in. You're under that law. Which one do you want to be under? Peter said, I am choosing, so did uh, Joshua, I am choosing to obey God rather than man. Trust in the Lord. Don't be fearful of what men may say or do. That's the cutting edge of being on the verge of a lust. Only I'm putting the verge of love. There are four uh, words for love in the scripture. One is eros, erotic. We understand that one pretty well. The next is phileo. Uh, brotherly love. The third is storge, that is familial love. And the fourth is the one that literally is spoken of, of the uh, first Corinthians love, agape. Self-sacrificial, only the love that Christ has. And somehow, some way, if I am obedient, Peter says, by, through repentance and accepting forgiveness, I am entitled to actually travel on the edge of that kind of love. Because first Corinthians says we see in a mirror dimly, right? I, I don't have it all. I, even have it, I just have a tiny part. But that tiny part is the cutting edge of life itself. New life. So that's what Peter discovered. And that's what set Peter apart. He says, I, I, I cannot not obey God. And uh, Peter and all others went to a martyr's death. Well, seems like there's a big thing here. The... Um, uh, let me carry the analogy further. You're the boat. The Word of God is the sail. And the wind is the Holy Spirit. Ruach, Old Testament. Pneuma, New Testament. Wind. When the wind blows, as it did yesterday here, uh, you don't see it, do you? But you can sure see what it does. Blows cars, trucks, everything off the road. Snow. Right? The Holy Spirit... Flows. And the Holy, this is why it's so important for you and I to have the Word of God, because it interacts with God's truth. And it says, how about, first of all, untying this. Let's just do this. Let's just free ourselves. By the way, the sails should have to be up. Let's just untie that. Well, good. I'm not stuck in the morning anymore. I have to release the bitter end. See? It's not there anymore. But I don't know if this is once or point in time. It just doesn't happen once. I have to do that as a way of life. Every moment of every day. For indeed, people are there, and pressure is there, and the attacks are there. Will you release the bitter end, or will you not? Will you choose then to allow the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, to interact with His Word, so that you might get underway or not. That's what's left to you and I as believers.
But you see, some of us may not even have a sales. That is, some of us may not even have Christ. So how on, and the wind can blow as much as it can. If you release the bitter end, you're just going to drift and probably roll into somebody else's boat or roll up on the rocks. Last picture is a picture of a sailboat that I had when I was uh, in the Navy. I had just become a Christian, come back from my second cruise. In the back, you can see a carrier. That's in South Bay of San Diego. And uh, that boat is really special, and the people on it are special. That's a star. It's a 23-footer, 283 square feet of sail, a lot of sail, not a, and uh, it's just a racer is what it is. <laughs> not comfortable, just really fast. Uh, that shows you the verge of a luff. And the leading edge of the sail is curved. You notice that? We're on a pretty much uh, close haul there. And uh, we're ripping along pretty good. A lot of fun. On that boat, the person in the back is me. The guy in between is a, fel- a friend of mine, Bill Ott, who still I have a friendship with. And it's 34 years later. He is a very successful man with Smith Barney. And what little money we have, he manages it. <laughs> um, but I'm still trying to share my faith with him. He thinks I'm a little nuts. But we're still friends. And the guy that's uh, most forward is a guy named Brad Parks and I had a chance to lead him to Christ. That's why the picture is special. And I think Peter is attempting to say to us, regardless of what my history has been, I have a story to tell. And I'm going to tell the story whether it's popular or not. Whether uh, it takes me to a martyr's death or not. I was watching a special on terrorism uh, on uh, Fox and the Islamic Jihad, and how radically passionate these people are, and they're trained from little on to simply destroy you and me and Israel and everyone else that is not of their persuasion in the name of Allah. Uh, That doesn't sound like the God of the Bible to me, but I want you to realize there's a passion that won't go away. So much more so if indeed... Christ and his word focuses on life, not death. Should this not be alive and passionate within us? So much so that I would be willing to actually tell excuse me, somebody else about it. Tell your story. When Todd ended his messages on Acts, he said, tell your story. Well, what is your story? Uh, you have a bitter end. And maybe you're still stuck there. To a certain degree, I'm still stuck there. If you think Christianity is a little plastic bubble in which somehow Jesus protects you and frees you, and suddenly everything's all good again, you miss the two testimonies. But please come to our adult classes where you'll hear more testimonies of changed lives. This church, its value is not in its building, not in its budget, Uh, Not in all uh, of the beauty that you see. It's an awfully nice place. But the church is you. Uh, The changed lives that I've watched over 21 years are awesome. You each are a treasure. When I listen to your lives and I see what God's doing, it's so spectacular. That's the encouragement that comes along. Warts and all. Bitter root. That's a part of it. 
if you somehow communicate to other people that you're not in a struggle, if you communicate somehow that I'm fine, uh, we're way off base. One of the greatest ministries I have now opening, and the lady just came up to me at the second service, she has a real burden for incarcerated veterans. And she was blown away that I would be interested. I'm very interested because I could have been an incarcerated veteran. Uh, some, of the, some, some of the, but I believe everybody is traumatized. I believe everybody has post-traumatic stress. Uh, and that is not some kind of anomaly. By virtue of living in a fallen world, we have post-traumatic stress disorder, of which uh, when it comes back, it comes back destructively. And maybe when you are under the thumb of the expectation of other people, you can't somehow, the more you do, the worse it gets, the more balls you have to juggle, you begin to think it's not worth it. And people will destroy themselves through suicide, uh, through drugs, through alcohol. I'm I'm a night snacker. And I'm the first to tell you. It's destructive. If I keep doing this, I'm going to be two tons of fun. I'll keep you shady in the summer, warm in the winter. I mean, I'm going to be big. So I got to deal with that. And the challenge this year has been take it before the Lord. I have a problem sometimes with my mouth. A pastor with a mouth problem? Yeah, I was, I was working downstairs, hanging some doors. I'm a dumpster diver. I take everything in the neighborhood and build with it. And I had some sliding doors. And you, it took me three hours to hang one sliding door. I, I put the little wheel up on the one and the other part come off. I mean, these are heavy doors. These are like, you know, 70 pound doors. Uh, uh, after a while, this mouth, something came out. I, I, maybe it's post-traumatic stress. It's got to be it. That's probably. But uh, these words come out. And so I said, Lord, you know, forgive me. Help me. I go on. And then the next time the door pops out and. Uh, oh, Lord, forgive me. And then, you know, I went on for about an hour like this. Lord, forgive me. And I'm thinking, Lord. It says, according to your word, that lift actually pulls a boat. See? Pulls it. The, 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 the wind hits the sail. It literally sucks it. It pulls you through. Lord, I need you to pull me through. Nobody's hearing this mouth, but what if I get mad and I'm in church? I mean, they're going to hear it, and that will then be an effect on you. But more than that, it's a dishonoring uh, of you. And I just got serious. I really got sincere. I got real. I got transparent. And I said, Lord, please, I really need you and your spirit to interact with your word and remind me that you would like to clean my mouth up. And you know something? He did. For that time. (laughs) And guess what? I tried to hang the door thinking, now God's going to help me hang this door. It's going to be done. It popped right off again. <laughs> Except I didn't. I didn't do the, uh, the language thing. Is God big enough to handle my eye-snacking? I would hope so. Because every time you say uh, that he's not, is he big enough to handle drugs? Is he big enough to handle alcohol? Is he big enough to handle pornography? Is he big enough to connect you with the right person someday that you could marry? Is he big enough to to deal with your finances? Is he big enough? Is this lift significant enough to come over, overcome all the drag? 
Maybe you're dragged down by the world in which we live and the news. Seventy percent of Americans are depressed while they watch the news. No wonder. What if we were to simply say, yes, this is a messed up world, but I have a story. And I see God working his story. And I'm not going to stay at the bitter end. I want to tell you how screwed up things have been. Or in that transparency, God opens doors of ministry. And he may open one now with incarcerated vets. It's a whole new thing. Just today. It's a better beginning. It's a life that counts. One of the friends in this church is reading a book called Wealth Conundrum. The guy knows how to make money. He makes mega millions. And he said, what good is it if it's not doing any value to people? And he interacts with God in honest prayer. And out of it, he says, Lord, I know how to make money. But I want this money now to count for you. And he's free. I mean, it's a phenomenal, cute little book. Well, uh, if you're not sure how to tell your story, we're going to offer a class. I'm going to teach it, not tonight, but the next three Sunday nights. If you're not in the new members class, come to the class. We'll teach you how to tell your story. We'll teach you how to look at your bitter ends and how to deal with them. And maybe you're still there. Fine. And you're better beginning. This is a process. It never ends. I, I, there's a book written by a secular person with this all closed. It's called Tra- from, or Trauma to Recovery. I don't think we recover. I would rename the book, and it's written by a Dr. Herman. She is an authority on post-traumatic stress. She said, I would rename it from trauma to transparency. God's saying, be transparent, be real, be honest, open it up, and then come together to this Christ that loves you, the verge of love. Well, ready to sail? Would you bow with me? Lord, thanks for the pictures that you have in life and that we can't change the past. For if we dwell there, we'll just simply stay at the mooring, tied with the bitter end. Maybe there are some people here today that have never untied that bitter end and they've never released this stuff, just let go of it. It's weighing them down and they're stuck. Maybe they're trying to keep all the canaries in the air and they're tired. They're worn out. Lord, would you show them that you have a better way? Only you have a better way. The world may pretend it has a better way, but only you have one. If you are here today and you've never invited Christ into your life, uh, this is where he gives you the set of sails. If you would like to have Christ in your life, would you, in the quiet of your heart, say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me and fill me in. In the same breath, I thank you for doing that because you're a promise keeper. Well, I got the sails. What do I do with them? May your Holy Spirit, Lord, work with your word. And may we let go of the bitter end as a way of life every moment of every day and allow you to uh, pull us through. Even the rough times, even the secret parts, even the addictions, we do believe that you're powerful enough to pull us through. And we've seen it happen time and again. So, Lord, thanks for what you're doing in the lives of this uh, people, this church. And we truly are very optimistic about what you have in store. You're the captain, you're the potter, we're the clay. 
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and send you in his peace. Now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Love to have you come back to the things for the week. And then uh, come on back with our legacy living. Bring a friend. Come to the class. Good to have you.